0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading.
1: I'm Kelsey Zeiser. I'm also an editor at Light Reading.
2: I'm Nick Feemster. I'm a professor in the computer science department at the University of Chicago.
0: Nick, you are a repeat guest multiple times on the podcast. Uh, we should get you a smoking jacket or something like uh, a.
1: <laughs> yeah, anything? I was going to say punch card.
2: Or I don't know, is there like a frequent flyer? Yeah. yeah, I think we have like a we have
1: like a frozen yogurt punch card we can give you. It, there we go. It expired yeah. in yeah. 2015, yeah. but What you do I get
2: after 10 appearances? That's <laughs> about the yeah. Uh, that's that's about it. I think a
0: yogurt card is probably as good as we can do on our budget. But uh, way, way to think ahead there, Kelsey. <laughs> um, now we uh, uh, now but more uh, more importantly, the time the timing of when you come on has been uh, really interesting. So you've you've come on, uh, you know, one of the uh, more popular episodes you were on was right at the beginning of the pandemic, where we were starting to talk about the problem of uh, uh, the digital divide and sort of how that was how the pandemic was kind of uh, manifesting, uh, you know, forcing us to look at this in a in a slightly different way and also come up with more creative solutions to connect people. Um, and then since then, you've been um, you know at the Data Science Institute at the University of Chicago working on all kinds of things, but uh, let's talk about uh, your latest project and what uh, what you're doing there. Maybe you could start by just telling us what what's going on and then uh, what you're hoping to achieve.
2: Sure. So one of the flagship projects at the Data Science Institute is called the Internet Equity Initiative. And uh, as the name would suggest, uh, this was born out of quite a bit of work I've done over the over the past decade or so on measuring internet connectivity and access and performance um, from the edge of the network Um, and uh, i think one of the things that i was very acutely aware of when uh, working on this problem in the past is that uh, the data that we have uh, to date about the state of internet, uh, broadband internet access, you know everything from everything from infrastructure to access to affordability, to performance, uh, is pretty sparse. And um, well, I think the last time we talked, right, we we were like just on in the throes of the pandemic. Yeah. Right? And Remember. I think, um, I think that was actually kind of a watershed for, uh, some of what we're talking about, because, you know, to that point, I think the issue issues of, you know, the so-called digital divide, internet equity, uh, et cetera. I think those issues were for many years, I think struggling for attention, (laughs) right? Um, I think in an abstract level, uh, people sort of, you know, had heard that phrase and were sort of aware that generally that was a problem. Um, and then the data I think was at a a similar, similar level of, you know, abstractness, shall we say, or or mediocrity, you might say as well. Uh, you know, just enough to, to sort of, um, to, to, to sort of allow people to tee up the premise, right. To say like, Hey, we, you know, we have a problem here. And I think we all kind of knew that the the data was imperfect, but it wasn't really, you know, imperfect enough to reject that premise. It just wasn't good enough to like, allow us to make further progress, Yeah. right? And I think then the pandemic hit, I think the last time I was on the show, right, we had started work on this already. Like I think Mm -hmm. we had talked about some of the shortcomings of existing data sets and so forth. Um, Then the pandemic hit, and I think the world realized that, like, hey, this, this internet thing, you know, it's, it, it appears to be a, a necessary for participation in life, <laughs> uh, right? in, in modern life. And, hey, wait a second. Like, people who don't have it, they're having a hard time, like, participating in life. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't go to school. They can't go to work. They can't see their doctor, etc. Hey, wait a minute. Maybe this is a problem. <laughs> and so I think, like that brought us, you know to a uh, to an important point, because uh, for quite some time now, uh, I think the 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 challenge has been casting a light on that problem right to say like hey we ha- we have a problem here. There are issues of you know gaps in connectivity pe- people who don't have. Good, performant, affordable internet access.
1: Yeah, I think that's a and, great point. That like the affordable um, access. I think so. Internet equity. Would you consider that as more than just um, just access? It's that it, um, like you said, is affordable. Um, that um, people can get to it easily. That. Like what are what are some of the components of internet equity? Because we talk a lot about the digital divide of from an access standpoint, but like what are the other components um, that we need to consider to make sure that everyone can participate in life fully, as you said.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, and this comes to I think like the, you know, I think where our project comes in. And the, and the issues of sort of data quality. So I think we could think about sort of four facets uh, at least at least four facets. One is infrastructure. you know wh- where is the infrastructure? Where isn't the infrastructure? Um, a second might be access, right Like uh, is it possible to 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 get internet service to your house? right Is, is it even possible? So access. A third, could be called affordability right um you know is it affordable can i actually afford to buy the service that i need to do the things that i need to do Mm -hmm. um a fourth would could be considered adoption right are people actually signing up right you know um even if they can afford it are they are they actually signing up and then I guess I said four, but there, I think there's a fifth, which is, you know, I think we can consider all the sort of classical internet measurements kind of work to fit into that area. Like how well is it performing, right? Mm-hmm. Is it reliable? Is it, are there outages? Yeah. Is it good enough to support the, you know, the applications and activities that people, you know, need to do on a day-to-day basis? And so I'm gl- glad you five tasks.
0: I'm glad you brought up the last point because that's, that to yeah. me has always been inter- interlinked with affordability because especially yeah. here, like in North Texas, many of the most affordable broadband plans can't support, like for instance, two kids uh, going to Zoom school at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like like it might be able to do okay with a Netflix stream coming to your family's yeah. television, but that two times, you know, you get a couple multiple people on there at that most affordable rate Suddenly, it doesn't work well at all, and so only one have, of you
1: can go to school. Yeah, <laughs> right.
0: right. Well, and then the, and then the ISP's answer to that is always, "Well, just upgrade to the next tier." And it's like, yeah, but that's like thirty, forty dollars more a month. Mm-hmm. Like the the price gap right. is huge. Anyway, right. sorry, that was the but but I, I think you're you're spot on with those five sort of facets of the problem.
2: Yeah. And I think one thing that you just pointed out, which I think is is relevant to some of our research since we last chatted, is one of the questions that um, the city of Chicago had asked us was, well, how fast, like how much speed does does a, a typical user household need to support uh, going to school over Zoom or you know doing a um, uh, you know a telehealth visit with your doctor or what have you and um we didn't know the answer to that question either so what we did was we did a control experiment uh of the nature that you said fairly large-scale control experiment we looked at a bunch of these video conference applications like zoom meet teams uh, and so forth and we in the lab we kind of dialed dialed the network uh parameters up and down We, we sort of dialed speed up and down we dialed latency up and down we dialed packet loss up and down we tried these with different settings like you know Two participants, ten participants, right? And then, and then, <laughs> and then we also tried these with um, competing applications, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's say it's Zoom against Zoom, right? How how two <laughs> people run Zoom in Zoom and say, how's that working out? Or how about Zoom versus Teams, right? And right. Uh, so we tried all of these different combinations, and I think the upshot of that uh, of those experiments, I think, are are what you said, Phil. I mean, it's it's basically like sure. Um, If you're the only person in your house um, running one Zoom call, uh, then maybe 25.3 is fine. Uh, Once you get to two people, it might not be fine. Uh, And depending on the video conference application you're using, I don't want to name names here necessarily, but depending on (laughs) which ones you're using and how they're sharing with one another, um, you're definitely not fine. And then also if you're giving a lecture, right, to like mm-hmm. 80 people, that's a different uh, situation as well, because you've basically got a large number of video feeds mm-hmm. uh, coming into your home, right? potentially, and, and also your feed is going out to many places. Now, depending on the architecture of the video conference application, that can be done in smart ways, and it can be done in let me say it can be done in efficient ways and it can be done in less efficient ways. And yeah. it differs by application. And so I, I think you were right on the money, Phil, with, with your um, observations. In
0: interesting research, though, how um, in your testing, uh, you know, again, I don't want to get any vendors uh, upset at us or whatever. Well, yeah, I do, but but I know you don't, but, um, <laughs> but, but what can you tell us about the differences between the programs? Was it shockingly different? Uh, because these things are all kind of presented as equals in the marketplace, you know, they're all down. They, are,
2: they you know. are not, uh, the same. I mean, as far as the, the bandwidth requirements, as far as how they respond to congestion, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so forth, I would say, um, uh, some of them are, are very aggressive, You know, in terms of like how they share bandwidth with other um, other things on the network, including other video conference applications. Interesting. Um, uh, Some of them are more bandwidth hungry. Um, Some of them don't uh, respond too well when you have a a large number of participants. As as far as like what I just said with with regard to um, congestion, Um, you. I probably don't need to name names because you've probably experienced this.
0: Yeah, I was about to say <laughs> I have a pretty good idea of the ones that that, that fall mm-hmm. apart. I mean that that was the other part of the pan- you know being uh, kind of in lockdown over the pandemic just doing you know multiple sessions of uh, uh uh you know all the in-person conferences suddenly went to various platforms or various uh uh video uh conference chat things. Yeah. And yeah, you could, some of them were just abysmal experiences, you know, like you can't hear what was going on. Things were coming in on delay, so on and so forth. And I think a lot of it too was, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the bandwidth per se all the time. Sometimes it could be, but it was, it was down to sometimes the in-home networking and sometimes the applications themselves just seemed like. Well, they behaved great when they were the only thing on the network,
2: That's right. <laughs> but That's but right. you, you introduce right.
0: anything else and they completely, you know, fall apart yeah. or they cause the other application yeah. to misbehave.
2: That's right. And I think this, these are things where the pandemic really, um, you know, they, it exercised an operating point that we had never seen before. Right. I mean, um, as you just pointed out, um, you know, some of those stress points, but you know. Uh, when was the last time you can remember that, you know, four people in the house are running simultaneous Zoom calls at the same time as like browsing the web and uploading lectures and doing whatever they're doing? Yeah. I mean, come on. The, the network actually performed, uh, you know, I, I think we've done other research in that area to suggest, you know, the, 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 the network, the internet was fine. And I think yeah. we've seen many articles that, that sort of talked about that. I mean, actually, I think the ISPs, Mm -hmm. expanded you know the augmented capacity in ways that uh you know and at levels that we really had had never seen before um but uh you just mentioned a couple of things one was the, the home wi-fi right yeah um another is the app we, we've been talking a lot about the applications themselves but i think the home wi-fi is like also an interesting one um yeah. this is one where we've started to gather a bunch more data and i think we should have some fun results to talk about soon hmm. in that okay. case uh, but think about the pandemic right um when you know prior to the pandemic we were we'd sit at home and maybe we'd you know use the laptop on the couch or you know watch some netflix or whatever and so your wi-fi was sort of uh, you know, it's configured for a particular experience. Now, all of a sudden, you know, the basement closet becomes an office, and 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 now maybe the Wi-Fi becomes an issue because you've never. I mean, the Wi-Fi is generally an issue, but um, and and I think we have plenty of data to to support why that the Wi-Fi is often the bottleneck. But boy, it's especially gonna you know be the bottleneck if you suddenly start using the the Wi-Fi network in places in the house where you have never used it before. And then suddenly you're using it all day long, you know, uh, you know, with four people at once and and you're, you know, 200 meters from the access point on the other side of a brick wall.
1: Yeah. that's a great example. I'll try to, you know, like, oh, it's nice out. Maybe I'll do some work from the deck, but then, you know, the signal's not quite the same. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so I'd love to hear more about. Um, I, I was looking around online at the link to the Internet Equity Initiative. Um, can you talk a little bit about what folks can see on that site, and you know, some of the the data that was involved in in building it?
2: Yeah, so I'll, I'll sort of I'll, I'll sort of mention that this is a multifaceted um, project, and re- recognizing from early in our discussion that you know Internet access and equity really involves a whole bunch of dimensions we talked about five And so this project uh, this ongoing initiative I should say uh, recognizes that uh, and and really is trying to tackle the problem uh, you know from a very holistic sense recognizing that um, th- there's not one linchpin right? That's, that, 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 that sort of underlies all, you know, all the internet equity and access problems that we see. It, it is in fact multifaceted, um, and so I'll first mention one. So, 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 two unique aspects about the project in that regard. One is that in recognizing that the problem has so many facets, we are seeking to uh, gather. Curate and uh, analyze and release uh, data sets, data collections mm-hmm. that capture the the holistic nature of that of of the problem. Um, and I think that is quite different from if you look at like let's say the FCC's Measuring Broadband America program. I'll talk about that in a, another way <laughs> in just a minute as well. But um, or any other project for that matter. There's usually like a unidimensional aspect to it. It's like, well, in the case of the Measuring Broadband America program, it's like, well, here's some internet performance data, right, from, you know, a, a thousand or some odd homes across the United States. Um, oh, but what about the Wi-Fi? Or what about, you know, access? Or what about adoption? Well, they don't consider those. Um, right. If we look at speed test data, right, it's, it's the same kind of thing, right, where it's like, okay, that's one facet, but again, what about the Wi-Fi? What about application performance? What about all these other things? Um, and and so I think that's one unique uh, pro- aspect of our approach is, is is we're really coming at it from the problem side of it, thinking about like, well, this is a problem. It's got many facets. If we're going to try to get to the root of the problem, then we we can't just look at like one dimension of it. We need to look at we need to look at many dimensions. Everything from like the, you know your home Wi-Fi. To you know, is there fiber in the ground, or you know, is there a tower on your, uh, you know, in your neighborhood, right? All all of these things matter. Um, uh, you know, to how old is your modem, <laughs> right? All these things matter. Um, and, so, and so, so that's like one aspect I think where the, the the project I think is taking a unique angle. And the other, recognizing what I just said, is it's it's very difficult to do that on like a national scale. Okay. Yeah.
1: I would imagine. Um, even even the major also, like, like metro area. Because that's exactly, kind of how you've broken so, it up, right? Like exactly. I think there was like Houston, Philly, Chicago.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. So um it's it's sort of difficult to do that on a national scale. Mm-hmm. It's also I think we think perhaps not the right place to start. Um hmm. so here so here's I think we recognize You know as a country that you know maybe even as as the world but certainly as our country that that internet equity that the digital divide, this is a problem right this is a national problem but there's not like a one-size-fits-all descriptor or cause of this problem right you know the reasons that uh someone in a rural area in wyoming doesn't have internet access are very very different From the reasons that someone on the south side of Chicago doesn't have internet access, and so that's the second aspect of this project that I think where we're taking a pretty unique viewpoint is we're really trying to go hyper local first, and the goal is to design it in such a way that it can be replicated and scaled, but recognizing that you know even like the how the internet looks in my neighborhood in Chicago, in Hyde Park, for example, it's it looks different than you know, two miles south of here in, in South Shore, right? And so let's first get an understanding of those differences, those variab- th- that level of variability, and let's do it, like, at every level, like, from the infrastructure all the way up to the application. And and, and then let's try to figure out, well, if, you know, do we see differences, right? So that's where the word equity comes in, in the Internet equity initiative. We're, we're not, as opposed to, like, a regulator or, you know, we're not benchmarking right we're not saying are you getting what you're paying for we're trying mm-hmm. to basically look at how the internet performs in different geographies and then talk about like is that apples to apples or or is there actually like a gap there when we talk about digital divide that's not a benchmarking question that's a div- we're talking about a divide right it's like you know haves and have nots or less haves um, and i think that's where that that's sort of really where we're, where we're focused is multifaceted, hyper-local with the design that this could be replicated and scaled. Um,
0: and that's, um, so obviously you've been collecting data in the, you know, in the Chicagoland area. Um, have you been able to kind of come to any, uh, you know, any immediate conclusions with the data that's available already as, as this project has been going on about the state of Internet equity, or or something that maybe the industry, you know, uh, since that's a kind of our constituent, uh, you know, is that that the industry is either overlooking or could uh, could could afford to address, you know, more more urgently than it has.
2: Yeah, I think one one thing that we uh, I think have shed light on uh, so far. And sorry, this is a little bit maybe meta or circular, but I'll I'll start here. But I think one thing that's become very clear from from the data that we have gathered across the city of Chicago, which um, I'll say right now, like we're in the middle of a pilot uh, study that's been going on for about six to nine months, uh, in in approaching a hundred households in uh, about thirty five neighborhoods across Chicago. There are seventy seven neighborhoods. Okay, and so you might say. Uh, I'll t- tell you what we found in a minute, but you might say, well, that doesn't sound like a lot. Um, you know, um, but hang on the FCC, you know, how many households does FCC's measuring broadband America measure in Chicago? Zero, Mm -hmm. none. Okay. You know why? Because their, 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 their goal is to benchmark. Right? they're benchmarking mm. isps and so they get a certain number of samples across each isp they've stratified the sample by isp and then they're like okay we're done we got a thousand at&t a thousand comcast or whatever the number is right but they, they're not looking at geography right? And so they're asking a very very different question than what we're answering right and so um i think one of the things that has become clear from that by the way i'm, I'm not trying to pick on that particular um, data set the story is true, like no matter what data sets you look at. So you could look at speed tests, for example, or the measurement labs uh, data. And what what you'll find is that uh, the neighborhoods that tend to have lesser connectivity are also severely underrepresented in the data sets. Right? Better, connectiv- better connected neighborhoods run speed tests right lesser connected neighborhoods don't run speed tests and so if you want to build you know if you want to even build the case but if you want to understand the nature of the problem the data just isn't there Mm -hmm. and so i think one of the things that's become clear from this from this pilot thus far is like that we've demonstrated the need to gather data in this fashion because we have previously not had any way of shedding light on that data we're already seeing some variability across neighborhoods, I'd encourage people to to go to the site and look at some of the data stories that talk about the variability that w- that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And we do see we see we do see differences. It's like, okay, two people they've signed up for the same service plan, two different neighborhoods, and they're seeing like basically very different performance. Like, wait, nominally they've bought the same product, but as we measure it, like they're seeing yeah. different things. Okay. So I think we're not that brings us to where we are, right? We're like, hmm, okay, We've now uh, seen some some curious things in the data. we've We've demonstrated that by looking at this, we're seeing things that no other data set sees. And so there's some value in in gathering data, you know, continuously in this hyperlocal fashion, et cetera. Where are we right now? I, I, you know, we're, we're still trying to understand the nature of that variability. Okay. So we like, don't get me wrong here. You can read that data story and maybe get the wrong impression, right? We are not to the point where we could say this neighborhood is definitely getting worse internet access or worse performance or more outages than this other neighborhood. We Mm -hmm. can't do that yet. We'd love to get there, but there's like really interesting statistics questions there. Like how big of a sample do you need in each neighborhood to really be able to make that statement that's like an unsolved statistics question we know how to survey populations we don't know how to sample infrastructure yet and so yeah that's where we'd like to go i think thus far we are certainly to the point where i think we've demonstrated the value of of gathering data in this fashion but it's probably going to be another little while now you know <laughs> a year yeah. or so at least i would say before we can even start to make any kind of assertions about you know geography A versus geography B,
0: but but the but the nature of what you're looking at too, first of all, like you said, hyperlocal um, surveying neighborhoods that are often overlooked by these uh, u- by the usual samples, and yeah. um, and then also I think you know by looking at active use. Uh, you know, and, and asking questions and kind of gathering data around that. I think that's also different than what a lot of times the industry will do. Like you said, they'll rely on consumer speed tests, which of course are done in, you know, areas that are, um, where, where people already have really good connectivity, but they're also, you know, the, the industry's, you know, metric is homes passed. So they don't even tell you what people are doing with the, internet use or how well it's working inside of a home they're just like yeah we passed that home with fiber or we passed it with 5g or whatever
2: or i mean and here's like phil to to sort of continue on that thread i mean sort of like well you could talk about homes passed you could also talk about like speed to the to the wall jack right well so now i think um you know putting aside responsibility for a second right um you know, speed to the wall jack doesn't get you speed to the couch, right, or to the home office. And so, there are some really interesting questions there now at the intersection of technical, policy, and social. So, to give you an example, um, one of our partners in, in the effort is the Chicago Area Broadband Initiative. You can read about them on on the site. I think we link out to them as well. So, part of what they do is is, is work with work with property managers and uh, property owners to bring connectivity uh to multi-unit dwellings and and one of the questions there is like how do you do that like as an, let's say as a property owner let's say you own an apartment complex well do you bring it to uh access points in the hallways in the in common area and then you just like hope that the signal like beams through the wall um Right. And and, and then like, that's good. Do you supply a Wi-Fi router or access point inside the, like, how far do you basic as a property Mm -hmm. owner? How far do you push that? Um, because, uh, to your point, like what (laughs) we could count or measure what it means to pass a home or to, or to connect, you know, 12 households, but are they really connected? Uh, and, and I think, you know, this is an industry podcast too, right? I think like, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, where policy and the tech intersect on that. We've already seen, I think, litigation where certain ISPs have, have sort of been, been raked over the coals for advertising speeds. You know, and, and then like giving giving out Wi Fi routers or access points that like can't meet those speeds and and um you know, typically it's been a responsibility to the jack, but then also there's like the equipment that's provided and like does the ISP provide it or what do you do about like so called coam? You know, like I don't use my ISP's modem and access. I bought my own. Well, Mm -hmm. maybe that's good for me because like, maybe I know what I'm doing. Like sometimes I like to think I know what I'm doing, but like, what about the person who bought that stuff, you know, from, you know, from Best Buy 10 years ago and like hasn't touched it, right? Well, that 802.11b access point that you bought in, in 2005, like, isn't going to do much for your gigabit connection coming into the wall and the ISP can upgrade you all, all they want. But if you have junky old equipment, then I don't know that should that count? (laughs) It definitely doesn't work, but like, how, how are we counting? And I I think there's like a lot of really interesting questions there about what do we do about it? Um,
0: yeah. Well, and that's the interesting thing too, is that that's what the industry is kind of stuck on right now is we've got a, we've, we've got, um, you know, billions of dollars in broadband relief that are going, flowing out to companies and municipalities and other organizations. And it doesn't seem, it it doesn't sound like the problem is being discussed in in granular terms. It's, it always seems like it's, it's, um, you know, they're using citywide and statewide stats that are kind of, kind of surface level stats to justify the investment. Yeah.
2: And I think that's where, I mean, we hope that this initiative and some of the data that we're we're trying to be, like, develop new methods to get better better data about, we hope that that will sort of inform these discussions, right? I mean, because to put a fine point on what we're talking about, it's like, well, do you use that 60 billion plus to um, put fiber in the ground, or do you buy everyone a new Wi-Fi router, right? Like, I mean... Probably yeah. a little bit of both, but I mean, the, right. the point is, you know, or is it subsidies or infrastructure? And but is isn't it, infrastructure it, it isn't it interesting
0: things? though, that those are two, those are two really completely different approaches to the problem. But, but yeah, but depending on who you ask, they've already made up their mind how they're going to spend that's, the money.
2: That's right. And, and I think like one of the things that I, I hope listeners take away and certainly we have discovered, and I think is one of the sort of under uh, you know, sort of, um, one of the, the cornerstones of this effort is that the problem looks different in different communities, in different neighborhoods. And so it's not necessarily going to be the same solution everywhere, right? Maybe in some areas it is long haul infrastructure, maybe in some other areas it's Wi-Fi routers, right? Or, or old cable modems, maybe in other areas it's you know a question it's a question of affordability and and so i think when we talk about the problem i think it can be you know uh you know i think somewhat easier and natural to sort of forget that because we talk about the digital divide as this sort of monolithic thing but that looks just super different depending on if you're looking at it in this neighborhood or that neighborhood and i think that's where we've learned a lot already in this project and we certainly have a long way to go. But I think hopefully as we get more data, as we, as we work harder on this, as we work more on it, uh, hopefully more of, more of those issues will come to light because, because I don't think it is a one size fits all solution or approach and, and we shouldn't be thinking of it like that. We should be using this, this data to really understand like, well, which lever should we be pulling in this community?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it, it's, um, Kelsey, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but it, it is a good point about, you know, the speed test app that my ISP gives me. And I have, I have fiber connected to my house. So I'm, I'm really lucky in that regard. But the speed test app that it gives me whenever it comes to troubleshooting problems. Um, and it, it, it's even admitted this to me only test between their infrastructure and their, um, uh, gateway. So right. it doesn't, doesn't tell me if my Wi Fi is down. It doesn't tell me. If uh, if it's not even connected to anything, it's just sitting on the floor. But as long as they get that strong signal to their gateway, they're like, everything's great. You look fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go, go on about yeah. your business. <laughs> and and right. it's like, but I can't connect. And yeah. so I, I I wonder I wonder how many people also kind of because of the uh, you know kind of lack of uh, so, you know measuring this stuff is is tricky even in your in your own home. I wonder how many people actually you know, know how to measure properly or know what to even look no, for.
2: You're right. And I, and I think another thing, I think we're working on a, a, a new paper that I think will come out in, in August and maybe we can visit you again. Maybe I can get another punch card on my, yeah, I was about to say he's parlaying this card.
0: into more podcast um, visits, Kelsey. We should yeah. watch it but, um,
2: so <laughs> we're should. we running
1: out of frozen yogurt budget here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'll just take a fiber off the cable. Okay. And, but, uh, but the title of the paper, the working title on the paper, is "is benchmarks or equity," right? Uh, and I think what you just said, Phil, I think really kind of illustrates that. And, and also, what we think is 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 sort of an argument, or it's time to really reframe these discussions, right? Because this wall jack to you know piece of infrastructure, like sitting in the ISP, like those kind of measurements, like. They make a lot of sense, actually, like you are measuring something, you know, very real right there. And that's something that I think, like, if we're talking about benchmarks, right? That's a useful benchmark, right? And if we're talking about the benchmarks in the in the context of, you know, regulation or litigation or what have you, yeah, that might be a very useful benchmark. And like the litigators, the regulators, they can argue about like, well, is it the wall jack or is it like the Wi-Fi, you know, or is it the wall jack to somewhere on my ISP network or should it be like across an interconnect, right. right. Or to, yeah. you know, to a service, you know, do I care about, am I buying a gigabit to, to at and or Comcast? Or am I buying a gigabit to Netflix? Right. Well, okay. Yeah. We could argue about that all day long in regulation and litigation. And there's just like no right answer, mm. uh, necessary. I mean, there are answers. They're just, they just differ. Yeah. Um, but that's benchmarks right and so what we're trying to get at is like well benchmarks or equity right we think about equity right really what what we're talking about is like well phil you're having a certain internet experience and like i'm having a certain internet experience and kelsey's having a certain internet experience and you know if we if we like bought the same products like are we roughly getting the same thing like that's, and, and by the way, is it like usable, right? Or are we yeah. having the same experience? I think that's what we're, what we're really arguing for, right? Cause that's ultimately yeah. what we, we care about. And that's not really, I, I think that's a really like important reframing mm-hmm. of the whole problem. Because I think there's been a huge like, like regulatory focus on a lot of like, am I getting what I'm paying for? Well, okay. But like, actually... Is the thing I'm getting, is it the same as what you're getting? Right. Like, that's a totally different question with totally different underlying reasons why the answer might be yes or no. And uh, I think that's like, personally, I think that as, as like, you know, as citizens of the world here, I think that's, that's the question we should be asking.
0: Yeah. And when it comes to education, especially, you know, that mm-hmm, that's yeah. where that equity pays off because it's like, if you're not giving everybody the equal equal chance to hear what's being said in the classroom or connect right. to some learning environment, then they're, yeah. they're, they're disadvantaged from the very get go and they can't, right. you know, um, and, and, and they're just behind, you know, from, from the start.
2: Yeah, you're right. And I think that brings a, you know, closes the loop I think a little bit with what the uh, FCC commissioner, Rosenworcel has long called the homework gap. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Meaning like what you just said, I mean, it's, it's if I don't have good internet access, it makes it very difficult for me to get my homework done. So yeah. she's been she's been referring to this as the homework gap for I don't know, it feels like almost a decade. Yeah. pre pandemic, right? And then it became yeah. not just the homework gap, it's like the life gap. This is yeah. the school gap, the work gap, the everything gap. It's no longer
1: Um, the dog ate my homework. It's can't get to my homework. homework.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry,
0: Comcast, three under the bus. (laughs) Anyway, um, on that note, yeah, yeah. No, seriously. uh, Go ahead, Kelsey. Let's wrap it up.
1: Oh, I was just gonna say Nick, this has been so interesting, and I can't wait to talk to you in August. I'm already gonna put you down for that. So,
2: (laughs) oh yeah, definitely call us up. And I think I would invite maybe uh, if you have if you guys take duets. I would would invite my co-PI, Nicole Marwell, to to join me in the the next podcast because I think she would she would really enjoy talking to you all as well. Yeah, that but,
1: would be great. We'll we'll go ahead and uh, put in a you know request for a punch card for
2: her as well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. I'm expecting my I'm expecting my fiber optic cables. Uh, I'll, I'll look for them in the mail. <laughs> yeah, Fantastic. The all lookout, right. Well, yeah. we'll have
0: a, a link to the uh, the the uh, Internet Equity website, the the work that you're doing there in uh, University of Chicago, uh, as ever in the podcast notes. We will talk to you in a few months. And uh, we hope you have a kick-ass summer. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it.
2: Thanks. Thanks, yeah. Phil. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks, Kelsey.